The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Amen. It is good to sing with the people of God. Um, we have been looking at, for the last several weeks, um, these different images that the Bible uses for the church. And uh, many of you come here today, and, and uh, when I, we're on our last one today. There, we couldn't go through all of them. One writer found 96 different metaphors for the church used in Scripture. And uh, we're not using 96. We've focused on four. And we've gone through them as the, the building of God, the, the body of God, the bride of God, and then also now today the, the bloodline of God, the bloodline of Christ. Um, well, for many of you, if, if you come here today and you hear me begin to talk about um, the church as a family, just as I started off last week, maybe family is not such a great image for you. Anybody, anybody get nervous when you start talking about family? Anybody get a little bit tense? Anybody around the holidays when it's time to gather with everybody again? Anybody break out in hives? Anything like that? See, for some of you, family is, brings a lot of tension. Maybe it's um, guilt that comes back when you gather with family. Maybe you get together with family and the family just heaps shame or offers questions that you don't want to answer. Maybe, maybe there's other things. Maybe, maybe you're coming out of a situation, a family, where it was not a beautiful thing for you because there was a member of your family that abused you, that, that took things from you, that did not treat you well. Maybe there's something in your family that has held you captive for years because you can't forgive a certain individual in your family for what they did to you. So when I talk about, or the Bible brings up the fact that the, the church is a family, the bloodline of Christ, it's not a good thing for you. In fact, it, it casts a lot of negativity on the church for you. But I didn't plan on sharing this, but I will. Um, many of you know my story, and you know that I, I came through um, a couple of different really hard situations with, with churches early in ministry and went through two different church splits and, and all that. I won't tell that story again. But I reached a point where I was hurt by the church. I was hurt and I was bitter, and, it, and I, didn't want, I didn't want to have anything to do with the church. But God used that time in my life to call me and to, to reaffirm and to recall me in some ways to serve the church. You know, if you've heard my testimony, you've heard the, the story of, of the pastor saying, Scott Ogle, come serve the body of Christ. Well, it was in that time... This is kind of the rest of the story, the Paul Harvey version for you. In, in, in that time, God called me back to seminary. God called me to seminary to go to school to, to recommit myself to him. We moved, my family and I moved from Alabama uh, to Louisville, Kentucky. Um, not knowing what, what was waiting for us there, not having any, any job there, just moving and hurting, being hurt by the church and bitter. And, and, and really just wanted to go into seminary and learn and not serve anywhere in a church, didn't want to do anything with a church at all. Lo and behold, there was a little church out in the country in Frankfort, Kentucky, 
that called me when I registered for school and said, would you come? This pastor called and said, would, would you consider coming and being our, our youth minister? It's a part-time position. Uh, doesn't pay a whole lot, but we need someone to work with our teenagers. And I told him, no, I, I don't want to do that. I, I absolutely do not want to do that. I want to go to school. I just want to, I just want to concentrate on my education. And, and, and I just, I can't. I'm sorry. He called back. We, we really want you to reconsider. We, we would love for you to at least pray about this. I said, no, you don't understand. I'm hurt and, and I'm, I'm jaded toward the church. And you don't want me working with your teenagers right now. Okay? Because I will, I will probably turn them off to this idea of church. He called me back. Would you, just, would you just consider? Would you just come and talk with us? I said, well, okay, I'll come talk. I went to them and I sat down with them and I talked with them. And for whatever reason, I went in with the intention of I was going to definitively say to someone besides the pastor, because obviously he wasn't getting the message, I was going to definitively say to the committee or whoever it was, I am not interested. Thank you very much. But for whatever reason, I came out of that meeting that night, and I was the new youth minister of this little church. <laughs> and I went in, and I was bitter and jaded and, and not knowing what was going to happen, and, and I didn't really want to sit through the, the services and all that sort of thing, but I did. And what I found in that church was member after member after member of the family of Christ. They just loved me. They just loved my family. That just, just cared for us in a time when we were so hurt and so broken. And for all of those negative images that I had seen of the church in all of the business meetings and all of, all of the things that had gone down and went awry, all of that was healed and erased because there was a little church and they were, they were not big and they were never going to be big. They didn't have a great preacher. They didn't have a great youth ministry. All in all, I had just a handful of students under my ministry the whole time. But that, that church was not about me going there to serve them. That church was there to serve me and my family. And I went this weekend with, with, uh, with my wife. Uh, my wife is a, is a Southern Gospel fan. I'm not so much a Southern Gospel fan, but, uh, but she is. And so we went back there to, a, to an event that they were having. And I found myself at a Gaither homecoming event. It was really out of my element. But, you know, I was investing in my marriage, you know. And so, um, so there we were. And the thing was, we, we were there where all of those people from that church were there. And it was like we had never left. They just loved us and they just hugged and they just, they just told us how much, how much they missed us. And, and all of that came flooding back about what a church can be. And if you're sitting here today and you're, you're disgusted with the idea of church, someone has drug you into this gathering this morning, let me tell you something. All of what you've experienced and all of what you've known, it doesn't have to be the reality. It doesn't have to be the reality because when, when the people of God are controlled by the Spirit of God, they love one another. It is a mark of the church, and it is refreshing. So I want to show you this morning what the church is to look like. It doesn't always look like this. It sometimes looks like the weird cousin. It sometimes looks like the crazy uncle. You know, it's, it sometimes looks like the judgmental mama. 
It sometimes looks like those things, but it's not supposed to be. and It doesn't have to be. Now, this side of heaven, it will at times be, but it doesn't have to be. I want to walk through this and show you what it means that we are the bloodline of Christ. Turn, if you will, to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And the first point that I, I want to share with you today, and, and I'm just going to be very relaxed today in sharing this with you because I know that if you're coming in with, with this attitude or this understanding of the church as being anything but loving and family is not a good thing, uh, I know that you're right now skeptical of everything that I'm saying and you're questioning everything I'm saying and you're just waiting to get out. So I'm going to be very relaxed and very casual. I don't want you to think that I'm trying to pull one over on you. I want you to just see the Word of God and see what the church is to be. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. The first point I want you to see this morning is this, that God's family is made up of only orphans. Only orphans. If you think about it, another familiar, probably the most familiar verse in Scripture is John 3.16. The way I learned it was in the King James Version, which says that Jesus is the only begotten Son. He is the only Son. John 1.14 uses that same Greek phrase when it says this. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Do you know what that phrase means, the only Son? It means the only true Son who is like the Father in every single way, who is identical in essence, that He is one of a kind. Do you know what that means today? That means that if you're here today and, and you call yourself a child of God, you do so rightly if your faith is squarely in the work of Christ. If you're trusting in Christ alone and not your works, but in what He has done, you are right to call yourself a child of God, but you are not right to think that, or you would not be right to think that somehow you deserve it. Because there is one who deserves to be called the Son of God. But for those of us who have come through Christ, who, who He has looked out with grace and mercy on, we can also be called children of God because He has bestowed an act of kindness on us that is unbelievable. Um, several of you uh, in this room, or, or maybe not several, but, but a few of you have, have uh, experience with adoption. Either you are adopted or you have adopted children or, or, uh, or know someone or connected somehow with adoption. I don't have any connection with adoption and sometimes Sometimes I, I wish that we would have done that. Um, but adoption has got, to, has got to be one of the kindest things that you could ever do. Russell Moore, uh, professor and, and dean of the School of Theology at Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville, 
uh, he has adopted two boys from Russia. And I shared part of his story in a sermon previously. I won't share you the same thing, but, but he recounts in his book, Adopted for Life, this, this time when he was gone there. He went, he and his wife Maria went to the orphanage in Russia and picked up these two boys. And when they went into this hallway, this dark, dank hallway that, that smelled and, and there was really no light, um, any natural light coming in whatsoever, they came and they saw these two boys. One of the boys was, was gray-eyed the way that the nurse described him. One of the boys, his, his eyes were, were crossed. The, the boys, they, they both uh, rocked back and forth from fetal alcohol syndrome. And he and Maria recommitted themselves, he shares in the book, they recommitted themselves to, to do whatever God had called them to do, to adopt whoever God would lead them to adopt. And it says they, they picked up these two boys and they went through the process and they were leaving the orphanage after signing all of the papers and, and they're, they're leaving and they're walking out and for the first time probably ever in these boys' lives they see sunlight. And they begin to squint and scream. And as they're walking toward the, 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 the car that would take them to the airport, these two little boys reach back for the orphanage because it was all they'd ever known. And they screamed, wanting to go back, not knowing what they were walking into, knowing that it, it hurt their eyes. And, and who were these strange people carrying us out? In that moment, he recounts in his book, and, and I can't remember exactly what he whispered to them, but he was whispering something like, you don't understand what you're getting ready to go into. You don't want to go back there. It's going to be all right. I want to show you, I want to, or I want to just tell you that our story is the same. That God has done the same for us. That when we did not want Him when we were clutching and clinging to our sin and the only thing that we had ever known, and he, he, he came to us. He carried us out of what we had known, what was really dark and dank and, and not good for us at all. We went sometimes kicking and screaming, but God in His mercy and grace brought us out to a life that we could never ever have imagined. Those two boys came out of that orphanage not knowing anything about Happy Meals. Not knowing anything about televisions and their own bedrooms and video games and, and school and playing with other boys and girls and all of those things. They didn't know anything about what was good on the other side. But now they do. Because there was a mom and a dad who were willing to bestow an act of kindness and to carry them out despite what they knew for their own good. The reality is here, going off my notes completely, but the reality is that God, if you are today here a believer, if you are a Christian, if you are part of the family of God, if you're a child of His, it is because He came to you when you would not want Him to. You were kicking and screaming, but He has pulled you out of that life of sin and misery and death and brought you into light and life and goodness for His own glory. There's not one of us in here. There's not one of us in this place. There's not one who is truly on membership roles, who is truly a believer of this church or any other church that is there because they have merited it. They are there because it was an act of kindness. God's family is made up of only orphans. Secondly, this morning, turn with me, if you will, to uh, the book of Romans. Go to Romans chapter 8. 
Look at verses 14 through 17. Now, I'll tell you right off the bat that when I say this point, it's going to get some of you. And some of you will want to check out. About half of you in this room will want to check out. And you will, you will become angry at me in an instant. And uh, just hang with me, if you will. The second point is, not only is the church, the family of God made up of only orphans, but God has only sons. God has only sons. Listen to this. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and of children and heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. And don't be offended today that I say to you that, that the family of God has only sons because it's actually a good thing. For some, you hear that and you think, well, this is just confirming everything I thought about Christianity and the church. It's just a, just a male-dominated, chauvinistic religion it wants to suppress women and, and, and keep them in the kitchen and all of those sort of things. To which I would say, not at all. If anybody did anything to, to liberate, to, to set free genders in their roles, it was Christ. The reason it's a good thing that, that uh, the Bible here says that we are sons. The reason it's a good thing, woman. The Bible, if you are a believer, calls you a son. It's because in that day and age, it was only the sons who received the inheritance. You can become offended at the fact that the Bible calls you a son if you want. But I've got to turn right around and become offended that the, that the, the Bible calls me a bride. The Bible is not here being specific here in its gender use here as much as it is bringing a point that when we come to Christ... Through the act of adoption, God doesn't just adopt us as children so that there are some in the family of God who are second-class citizens or black sheep. But He adopts us into the family regardless of gender or race or how much money we have or what family we belong to outside of the family of Christ. He adopts us all in as sons, as fellow heirs. That every promise that Christ has ever made to the church belongs to you if you are in Christ. This is a good thing that we are fellow heirs with Christ. Listen to Galatians 3, 25-29. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek there is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. We are heirs with Christ. Everything that Christ has promised, everything that is owed to him, everything that is coming is also coming to us. You and I are heirs through Christ in that we have forgiveness of sins. In that we have complete 
righteousness imputed to us, the righteousness of Christ, that we don't have to work the rest of our lives trying to make ourselves right before God, but we have become heirs of that because Christ has also passed it on to us. We are heirs of sanctification. We can rest assured that one day when, we're, when, when this world comes to an end, when Christ comes again, we can rest assured that we will be like Him. That we will be made holy. We are heirs of glory. We are heirs of heaven. There's coming a day when we will live and reign with Christ in the eternal kingdom. There will be no more sadness or sickness or, or death or, or any kind of tension between family members. We will live in heaven with Him forever. We are heirs of the kingdom of God. You're no second-class citizens, no black sheep of the family. The ground at the foot of the cross is completely level for all who come and kneel in his blood-spattered dust. Praise God that in this place we are all sons. The third is this, that in God's family, water is thicker than blood. In God's family, water is thicker than blood. Turn, if you will, to Mark chapter 3, verses 31 through 35. Mark 3, 31 says, And his mother, talking of Jesus, his earthly mother, and his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And the crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. What Jesus is encountered here is what many of you encounter on a regular basis. Jesus here is he's going about his earthly ministry. He's doing what God has called him to do. He's on his messianic mission. He's teaching. These, these people who were hungry and soaking this up, Jesus' own mother and brothers come and they, they, try, to, they try to snatch him away because many in the town are saying he's out of his mind. He's, He's lost his mind. We've got to protect him. We've got to, we've got to do an intervention here. We've got to get in here and get him out and get him secluded in a way so that he'll stop saying the things that he's saying. Jesus here experienced the same thing that many of you experience on a regular basis where family members call you crazy for what you do. They think that you're, you're deluded and you're chasing a dream by devoting your life to Christ. Make fun of you for following God, for going to church, for putting money in a place, for reading the Bible, for talking like you talk. The same thing happened to Jesus. And Jesus' response was, who are my mother and my brothers? All those that follow God, all those that obey, all those that, and what he's saying is all those that come by trusting in me. Jesus, I want you to notice that, because this sounds kind of hard, harsh here. Jesus taught that we are bound by a family relationship as brothers and sisters that is greater 
and more enduring than this earthly family. He doesn't sever his ties. He doesn't, he doesn't turn his back on his family. And I want, I want to prove it to you because on the cross, when he's nailed to the cross, he looks down into the crowd and he sees his mother there. He sees Mary and he sees John, the disciple whom he loved. And he says, woman, behold your son. Behold your mother. And it's an endearing act of compassion and kindness in those last days, making sure that his earthly mother was cared for. He doesn't sever these ties. He's not saying, I want to turn my back on my earthly family. Some of you, you can thank God that you have a godly family that does not ridicule you. I thank God that I had a grandfather, I have a grandfather that loves the Lord. That today still, if I go home, he'll pull out books. Pull out books that he's reading that are continuing to shape his mind and conforming and pushing toward the glory of Christ. Thank God for that heritage. I thank God that even though, even though I, I never really saw my dad in my, my years growing up read the Bible or care anything about going to church, he would go, and I always knew he went because my mom went. He went because my grandfather wanted him to go. And he, he had this desire to somehow please the father of his wife. He would go for those reasons, but I never saw it growing up that it was really owned by him. But I praise God that in these, in these later years of his life, that he now reads the Bible on his own every day. Nobody tells him to. And he's just, he's just pushing into Christ because there's a reality of the faith that resides within him. There is the Spirit of God that is crying out with his spirit, saying, Some of you can thank God that you have godly heritage. But for those of you who don't, you should love and care for those. You should, you should love them with the kindness that you've been shown in Christ. But ultimately, there is a greater family that is the family of God. It's more enduring. It will last forever. Jesus emphasized the priority of his faith family. When his earthly family tried to pull, away from, pull him away from his messianic mission, he demonstrated that his ultimate loyalty was to God and to his kingdom. We should praise God that we are in a family where water is thicker than blood. Where we have been brought by the water of the Spirit of God. And that we're part of a family that cannot be put away they cannot resolve. There are many of you here today that you are children of divorce. You've gone through terrible things. You are a split family and all sorts of things. It, we ought to praise God that we are in a family where the family will not ever be dissolved. Where there will never be brokenness. It may show up sometimes. There may be churches and church services and church bodies where there is dysfunction that is displayed. That out. For those who are truly of Christ, who are truly the children of God, there is an enduring, lasting quality to the family of God. The last thing I want to show you today, if you will turn to, back to the book of Romans, to, the, to chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. In God's family, God's family is made up of only orphans. In God's family, he has only sons. In God's family, water is thicker than blood. And the last thing I want you to see today is that in God's family, there is predominantly one family trait. 
There are multiple traits that you can see in the lives of believers, but there is one predominant family trait that is supposed to mark us more than any other. Romans 12, verses 9 and 10. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 15 says, you don't have to turn there, but just listen. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain. We should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in it. That word there, we shouldn't hate our brothers, is, is a pretty strong word. And some of you today, if I were to say to you that we shouldn't hate one another, many of you would be let off the hook because you would say, well, I don't hate my brother. I don't, I don't hate any of my brothers or my sisters in, in, in the family of God. I, you know, I don't hate anybody. Now, there's a few that I don't like. I'll just be honest with you. You know, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but right now you're thinking, you yeah, know, that's, that's really true. There's, there's a few that I don't really like. There's a few that I don't agree with. There's a few that I don't get along with. There's a few that I would not go to the movies with. That I wouldn't call up and say, hey, let's, let's go bowling, you know. So, so you're let off the hook. When, when here the Bible says, don't hate your brother, you're saying, I'm good. I don't like him, but I, I, don't, I surely don't hate them. That word hate is a word that means either hot hostility or cold indifference. And some of you think you're okay because you're not hotly hostile to your brother. But at the same time, you're being wholly indifferent to your sister. You don't care. It's not that you hate her in the way that you think hate is, is defined, but you just really, you, you just don't care how she does. You just don't care how he is doing. You, I mean, if, if they grow, fine. If everything's well in their life, Fine. If it's not, you know, it's no real skin off my back. I'm going to keep going. The Bible says that if that's your attitude, you are guilty of hating your brother or your sister. Then instead, we should try to outdo one another. That's what it says there in Romans 12, 9 and 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. The reason I say that there is predominantly one family trait is because if Jesus Christ is the only le legitimate, and I, I shouldn't use that, but if he's the only one who is like the Father in every way, the only one who is truly Son, and all of us are orphans who have been adopted in through this act of kindness, and yes, we become sons and daughters in every way. If there's one predominant trait, it's when we act like the Father. And how has the Father acted toward us? With love that cannot be summed up in words. I don't remember the lyric exactly. It just popped into my head. That's the problem with being up here. It's going to just pop in your head sometimes. But, um, the, the, the hymn that talks about if the ocean were filled with ink. If all the world's oceans were just filled with ink. And, and the skies were, were a parchment made. 
And every, every man or woman on earth was a scribe by trade, and we all had a quill. We, we, couldn't, we couldn't sum up the love of God. That we would drain the oceans dry trying to write the love of God. And that is to a lesser degree, but that's the, that's the mark, that's the picture that we should be striving for in the family of God. It starts with understanding who we are and how we got in. We, none of us deserve to be here and, and realizing what we have in Christ and His commitment and His enduring faithfulness to us. And it should translate into the fact that we love one another because we love Him. There's going to be some things that your brother or sister in the family of God are going to do that are going to get on your nerves. But if you stop and you, and you, you just step back and say, you know, I bet there's some things that get on God's nerves that I do. I, I bet there's some things that He's patient with me on. I bet there's some things that He extends mercy to me over. Well, that's gospel-centered family living. And just as much as you know of the ones who, who annoy you and bother you, don't forget that you are the one that someone else is thinking of. You are the one who annoy or bothers someone else. And they love you. They are showing the kindness of Christ. The church today, this side of heaven, is not going to be perfect. We will we'll not be perfect because it's made up of people who are not perfect. But the Bible promises that those whom He justified, He will also glorify. That there's, We're in this process of being made like Christ. The church is being transformed grace by grace. The church at large and the church at this level, the small micro level, we are being transformed. And here's what this means. That if, if we, the church, have been loved in such a way that we have been adopted, that we should love and care for one another because of the love that we have received from Him. If you're here today, I started out by just really talking to those of you who are jaded and cynical about the church and you don't really want to be here, let me tell you something. The church is not what it's, what it's supposed to be, but it is becoming what it is supposed to be. And what we need is not for, for Christians to check out and say, you know what, I don't need the church for my salvation. While that may be true, the church is important because Jesus died for it. The Bible calls it His His building. We are the building of Christ where He dwells. And we are in this state of being built. And we are growing. That we are the body, the Bible says. The, the body of Christ. One that does not say to the head, I, I really don't want to do that. That doesn't, say, that doesn't suit my, my taste. Instead, the, the body simply takes its directives from the head. And Christ is the head. If you remember that, we are hands and feet and ears and noses and mouths. As the bride of Christ, we should long for the wedding. 
And while we're waiting, we should wait with purity and seek after it. And some of you here today, you, you hear all this. You hear this imagery, the building, the body, the bride, and the bloodline of Christ. And you think, well, you know, hey, that's, that's good for some. But, but you know, the, the church, if I go there, if I, if I plug in there, you know what? They're just going to pull me back. To which I would say to you, that could be in some instances. But it might also be that by you coming and you growing the Lord and you serving Him and locking arms with the church, you might also pull some along with you. The church is not, a, it's not an outdated idea. It's not an evil thing. It, is, it has been corrupted like so many other things by sin and, and selfishness and all sorts of um, men and women who have thought they were more powerful and more important than they really were. But it doesn't mean that we should throw the church out. I heard one lady say this just the other day. I was listening to a podcast, and Tim Keller's wife talked about this issue, and she said that, that we should not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just, just because there's some dirty water in the tub doesn't mean that we should throw the baby out with the bathwater. But instead, by the grace of God, church, I think we ought to help one another bail the water and keep the baby. The church is a beautiful thing. It is the, so many times, the recipient of the love of Christ. Let it transform the way you think. Let's pray again. But Jesus, this is uh, it's just the Word of God. We've looked at the Word of God today as we've read it in, in the pages of this book. God, we know that this is your Word as much as if you were speaking it to us today into our ears. So God, today I pray that, that you would take your Word and God, that you would elicit responses from us that are faith-filled, that are marked by submission. God, I, I don't know what you want to accomplish with a sermon on the church, with a four-part series on the church. I don't, I don't know what you want to accomplish, but God, I know that we have a long way to go. The churches all around us have a long way to go. God, your word tells us that you will build your church. And God, I'm just praying that you would take what's been preached. And God, that you would build your church. Have your way among us. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ethan's going to play. We're going to ask you to remain seated where you are for just a little bit. And if, if, if you would like, we're encouraging you to. That you would just ask God to show you what this would require of you. That possibly in hearing this language of the body is the family of God, maybe it has brought up some things that you've not dealt with and you need to deal with them today. Maybe there's someone in this room that you have refused to forgive. That it's causing, it's causing bitterness and division in, in the body and maybe you need to go to them now. Maybe there's someone outside of this room Maybe there's a church that you used to be a part of a long time ago and, and things didn't go well and, and, and you were hurt. 
And maybe there's some releasing that needs to take place where you release them to Christ. Or maybe you just seek reconciliation. Maybe there was a, a pastor or a deacon or, or, or a lady in the church or somebody that just really, really skewed you on this topic of the church. Maybe there's some real steps of obedience that you need to take. Maybe today you're here and you ask God, God, what does this mean for me? And maybe he might show you that it means that you've got to take your role in the family of God more seriously. That you've been hating your brothers and sisters without even knowing it. And you need to lay your, your own wants and desires down. And stop thinking that everything is about you. Stop thinking that everyone's out to get you. And begin to try to outdo one another in showing honor. Maybe you're here today and when I at the beginning talked about that all of us are orphans adopted by the compassion and grace of Christ, maybe in your heart you know you've never been adopted. And you are still in this moment an orphan. You don't know God as your father. You're the recipient of his kindness on, from, from day to day. I mean, you get sunshine and rain and oxygen and your heart continues to beat and all those sort of things, but you don't know him. You don't know him as father. There is, no, there is no crying out in your spirit, Abba, Father. And maybe today that you need to just, in a, in a moment, you need to walk this aisle and take me by the hand. Nothing special or magical about that. But you need to say to me, would you today help me to know how I can know him as Father? I'll be glad to do that. Greg will, will be available to do that. There's others in the room that would help to do that. Let's today, let's today say, God, we love your church. Make it a pure bride. Make it a beautiful and glorious building. Make us the body that serves at your beck and call. Make us the family that loves one another. Whatever it is that God says, obey me here. And don't harden your heart. Just say yes. After a few minutes, Ethan will direct you to stand, and that'll be an opportunity for you to move if you need to move. You need to come to me or go to someone else or kneel across the front. Whatever it is you need to do today, just be obedient. Let's respond to him.